0: Hash tables are effective for caching, uh, database joins, even partitioning, distributed uh, databases, sharding uh, sets to check if something is there or not. It's very, very effective, even load balancing. Uh, a lot of programming languages implement that in-house, you know, in, in natively in the language, you can build these hash tables. Uh, however, what I want to discuss in this episode of the Backend Engineering Show is uh, the limitations and the cost of using hash tables and um, you know things that we really don't think about. It comes back to the uh, leaky abstractions of, hey, there's a black box, uh, it's fast, uh, let me use it. But we don't understand how it works, and when you don't understand how something works, you can get away with it, but sometimes when it doesn't work that's where you really get screwed and and that's where uh, really a good engineer is i identify him or herself from uh, other engineers how about we jump into and discuss this welcome to the back engineering show with your host hussein Nasser. This is the show where we discuss the art and the craft of building software and cover recent news on back-end technologies. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and rate it on Spotify and Apple Podcast. With that said, let's get on the show. Welcome to the Back Engineering Show with your host, Hussein Nasser. And this is our laid back, uh, chill uh, discussion podcast kind of uh, video. Uh, audio format if you can listen in the, in the podcast uh, if you're listening on spotify and apple podcast and google podcast you can listen on that and this is just basically i don't i don't, I don't include graphics or i don't include anything it's just a long form discussion about one topic and i try to go as deep as possible to my extent of knowledge on this topic to tease apart this topic and um, today's topic is hash Tables. Uh, in order to discuss what hash tables are, we really need to understand what arrays are. You might say, "Hussein, I don't care. I understand what arrays are. Do you think I'm dumb? I know what are arrays, and I know how they work." Uh, you'll be surprised that uh, you we take a lot of things for granted. Arrays is one of them. The concept of array is a consecutive uh, slot of memory. And the, this is the keyword, memory. You cannot put in an array on disk. It doesn't make any sense, right? Well, until ultra RAM is a thing and we can do byte addressability in the disk. But arrays are a property of the random access memory, you know, and the power of this is because it is consecutive, No matter how large the array is, given the index, I can go to the first node, to the first element of the array, or I can go to the middle one, or I can go to any, to the last one, or any element in almost constant cost, big O of one, as the computer science guys say. It's, it's so fast because of this byte addressability, because every index is associated with a memory address. And to get the next one is literally just add one to the memory address, and we can get there. And if you ask the CPU to fetch a value of that, whatever the, the element has, whether an integer or a string or anything, you can immediately go there and fetch the value. And that's the powers of the array and hash tables are nothing but a glorified arrays to be honest so you can ask the cpu to fetch a value from an array in memory by giving it its index from the index we're going to find the first address and going to add x amount of value you know to find that particular index so so the cost is really is an addition plus the cost to go to the memory from the CPU, right? So uh, the first one is constant, addition is cheap. It is done in the CPU itself. The other cost to actually jump to the memory is really depending on your architecture of the CPU. And we can really dive deep into this. This is probably another uh, episode itself. The cost to fetch a value from the RAM to the CPU It really depends on the distance from where the CPU lives, the memory. You know, uh, in in multi-core architecture, uh, you have multiple CPUs and you have a single memory and they compete in the memory. Only one CPU can access the memory at a given time. And so there's there's some sort of a competing competing going on. So you... uh, what happens is some uh, in, our, in some certain architecture, there will be two memory locations, right? And and in each CPU access its local memory, and that's obviously becomes faster, right? Because there is no competing anymore, no CPUs competing on the memory. The problem with this is now this CPU sometimes can uh, might need to access a memory all over there, that is that is available that is closer to other CPU. And uh, and that's what is called the NUMA architecture, the non-uniform memory access, you know. So this can be slow. And this is where uh, uh, guys like Apple is innovating to making the cost of access in the memory as fast as possible by having everything into a single SOC chip, which is the M1 Pro. And then they just came up with an M1 Ultra, which fuses... Two M1, you know, SOC chips such that the cost to to jump between different memory is negligible. They just made this great, you know... Uh, uh, design such that you don't as a programmer you don't really need to oh if my uh, array is all over there and uh, i really have to execute my code on this cpu you know this is the noma aware programming obviously this is this is a little bit of discussion we can go into other uh, day but the cost is you can't call it constant there is it's fast it can be faster in certain architecture so that's the array the array, the problem with the arrays is, is is it's a, it's an integer based, right? So zero, one, two, three, four, five. So if you're if you can have your key as that index, you won. Right? The problem is like how many applications where the key is actually an integer and it is actually this this particular index? It's almost very little, right? This is where hashing table comes to use the concept of arrays in a very intelligent manner. What do they do? Uh, Second example. So I have, um, I don't know. I have uh, an ID student, you know, and I want to find their name. Let's say this is a key value store, you know. Uh, The ID is obviously a large number, has nothing to do with the index. So what do you do is you want, given the ID, I want immediately to find the name of the students. So the value is the name, the, 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 the integer, uh, the, the, the key is the ID of the student. So given that ID student, what you do is you build a hash table. What do you do? You effectively take the IDs and you create a hash off of them using a hash function. that gives you a a garbage value, right? So that if you hash the same value, again, you're going to get the same hash. Given that hash, you then take that value and then calculate an index that points to an array. That's the trick. And the most easy way is to do a modular function. So let's say your hash table size, your array size is 10, you know? So if you calculate, uh, if you give it this ID, you do modulo 10, you do a hash, and then you do modulo 10, and you get a value between zero and nine. And that's the power. Because you eventually have an index, you can immediately go to that array value in that index and pitch the value, which is the name of the student in this particular case. And that's the power of hash hash tables. And so now given an actual key, I can find the value using the power of array. Well, you might say, there are problems with this, obviously, right? It's like about collision, you know, sometimes I might get two student IDs that maps to the same hash, which then maps to the same index. Well, that's your responsibility to solve. And we're going to talk about this in the limitations option, um, a portion of this video. So now we know, we know hash. Hash tables. So then, now we understand hash tables, the idea of hashing something to get, eventually get an index, which we're going to use to point to an array, which has our values. So one popular use case is uh, database joining. So if you have two relations and you want to join these relations based on a foreign key, you know, you're going to use the idea of hashing, hash tables let's say you want to join the company table to the employee table where you have a company id field so this employee belongs to this company right so in order to join these two tables you're gonna pick one of the relations and you're gonna create a hash table and focus on this word create a hash table the hash table doesn't exist you create it and there is a cost to creating a hash table so usually in a join, you pick the smaller relation because creating hash tables is expensive because you can loop through every single one uh, and take the value, hash it, and give the index and then go to that array that you, hopefully you have already pre-allocated and then store the value for that index in that uh, particular array. And You're gonna do the everything for every single value. So that's that means the hash table really has to have a fixed value to start with. You start with, I hey, do you know, I'm gonna create, I think this relation is around thousand, right? It's gonna, gonna increase a thousand. If you know the size, that's even better. And you say, okay, I want a thousand, a thousand array element, and you so so you ask the RAM, hey, give me a thousand integer consecutive array values and then you start building the hash tables and you fill all this thousand so the first value might go to index 999 the second value might go to the index 78 the third value might go to index zero and you start filling you start filling this hash table so now once you've built that hash table you have a beautiful array in memory with with indexes right but your hash values means something there is a mapping between the hash between the key um, to the hash obviously and then between the hash to the index and that mapping is what's critical now okay we have this hash table what do i do with it now you go to the other relation whether whatever it is it is the company either or the employee whatever is larger in this case and you loop through it you pick the first one first entry of the company ID. So at this point, you you don't really know the value. You're just picking one value, but at a time, oh, this is company number 705. Let's hash it and let's get the index by using a modulo, right? And then, oh, it's uh, index number 773. Oh, let's go to the memory right let's go to the array so ask the cpu to fetch that value and then when you fetch the value you give that company complete row which is the name of the company the whatever how many employees whatever you've you've put the entire row that you need obviously you don't put the entire row you put exactly based on the select query that joined you know so that there's like a blob field you don't just put it if the user didn't ask for it right so that's why select star Sometimes kills the performance because look at all this stuff that it needs to do, right? Has to put it in the hash table, has to fetch it from the database from disk. So select star is really harmful. Starting not to do it if you don't need to. And uh, yeah, and you start just probing. That's this is the second. This is the second. So it's called probing. You probe, and this probe is cost big off one, big off one because it's very fast because the hash has a cost is constant and the go and give me that index also has a fixed cost again depends on whether you're numa versus not numa architecture and your cpu and how far your cpu is from the ram all that jazz but it, it's almost let's say it's constant right if you're at that stage that's where you basically optimize your that's a different level altogether Um, frankly above my head you know it's just so so much details but yeah this you go there and you fetch the value so now if you if you found the value that means there is a match if you didn't that means hey this value doesn't exist so i don't join it and you create an output relation as a result that's how you join that's a hash join obviously there's optimization and different hash joins and i think i'm going to make another Uh, episode talking about hash joins because they're like mammoths what i just explained is the classical hash join you know um it becomes a problem because uh, what happened if the if the i cannot fit this stuff in memory you know that's what a part of the limitation hash tables are useless if you can't fit them in memory right because the whole point is because the whole thing is an array you have to fit the array into memory so you can Use the byte addressability of the RAM again, unless someone invents a byte addressable disk, all of these problems will go away, hopefully. <laughs> uh, I think there are a lot of attempts. Uh, Ultra RAM was the latest that I'm aware of, uh, you know, which is basically a persisted disk value that is just as fast as the RAM, but it's also persisted. You know, I'm gonna reference a video that I talk about Ultra RAM. Uh, but yeah uh a lot of the storage people you know the they they talk about this they eat this for dinner effectively but yeah this is the idea of hash uh tables hash joins very very popular concept now i want to talk about the limitations of hash tables and this is where you really uh, kind of link to the previous topic with hash joins uh basically watch out again hash tables have to fit in memory to be utilized and that's the biggest biggest problem i guess you know it's like what happened if you because that's the first thing people will say is hey i'm gonna bin my entire key value store as a hash table hey let's put the entire customer database as a hash table (laughs) you can't (laughs) how What kind of how much how much memory do you need to put the entire thing in memory? Because that's what you need to do, right? Let alone just building that goddamn thing. You know, you need to build it first, and to build it is costly because to build it you have to scan the entire thing. That's a big O of n. You have to scan the entire thing, pull it in memory to build it, and that's a cost. Maybe you can consider this a fixed ghost, right? And then once you build that, then you have to, uh, all of that, get it in memory. Otherwise, if it's not in memory, you have no idea which parts will be fetched next. I think you can play games here where uh, you can play the idea of having... I don't know if you have low-level access to the RAM where you say, "Hey, if uh, if someone asks access this location and it's not in RAM, go fetch it from disk." You can build data structures like that, I believe, but I, I don't believe it's going to be easy, right, to do that. Um, maybe they they do exist, and I'm not aware of them. Please let me know if they if you have worked with such like like disk hybrid model but that's the idea that the limitation is the memory cost you know you can't just uh, have a billion uh, 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 size hash table you know Uh, plus the, the that's one thing the key size and the other thing is the actual values which is uh not really might not be as problematic because they can live somewhere else the actual pointers you know it's just the indices is what what is critical and then the pointers uh, can can live somewhere else can in the heap of the memory they don't have to be consecutive consecutive like a string is not really literally a string that lives in the element itself of the array it's a pointer to some other location that we don't care about as long as we have that pointer where we can jump to that uh, memory location then it's fine yeah it's an extra cost of the cpu but uh Intel and AMD and all those people are taking care of these optimizations. But yeah, this is one, two limitations. The cost of building the hash table is a cost. Right? That's why you always pick the smallest in case of a join. Right. The other one is uh is the memory. Like you have to you have to make sure it fits in the memory. And there are workarounds for this. Uh, I believe one, one alternative uh to uh, to hash joins is to avoid probing all over again because you have to scan this other relation to always just go back and jump right and that can be costly if you do it over and over and over again so you can effectively partition stuff it says okay uh let me just um uh work with a smaller subset instead of the entire table let me just uh uh, create partitions. Let's any value that I'm scanning, I'm gonna create a, a partition that is closer to each other, and then I'm gonna store it to disk, and then read the partition from disk, and then hash table that. This way, you don't have to scan the entire build, the entire hash table of the entire relation. You just partition it and and chunk it. You know, work with it smaller, smaller size. So that's, that's another limitation. There are workarounds, obviously. The final thing is really with what with what the biggest problem with hash tables is is what happens if uh, I, wa- I want to keep adding new keys? I want to delete a key. I want to add a new one and delete one. Deleting and adding to a hash table really screws up everything. Why? Because, remember, we're, we're doing a hash and then we're doing a modular on the size of the hash table. So now, if, if you have a value and you hash it, And a value of like from 0 to 10, like you hash it, you you do a modulo on 10, then you get a value from 0 and 9, right? So I say you get 8. But what happens if you add another element, right? Now your hash table is 11. Now the modular operation, if you do it modular 11, you're gonna get a different value. And now you're not pointing to the same index anymore. So you have to do a remapping after you add or delete and that is costly right so you have to scan the entire thing and then just reshift things it might not be as expensive sometimes it's easy sometimes it's slow you know but but that cost of remapping you have to keep it in mind sometimes that's why people just say okay I'm going to work with I I don't I'm not going to resize my hash table it's always going to be I don't know it's always going to be 10 you know and as a result you uh uh, you don't you don't you don't anticipate that it's going to be increasing right uh but again if you fix it too large then you're consuming a lot of memory and you have you might have gaps if it's too small then you might add values to the hash table and that will cause remapping and that's a problem with uh, cassandra and shard any sharding database a distributed database right uh the problem is to do sharding, uh, you kind of use a hash table, right? Because I'm, if I'm doing a query and this is my node, right? Uh, you don't really specify a node per se, but you're based, based on the key. So like if I'm inserting value uh, 8, you hash that and then the value will map to a node or a shard. Or a partition, even partitioning, you can do hash partitioning. Right? I'm talking about how hash partitioning here, not range partitioning. Range is easy. It's like oh, from zero to ten thousand, go to this server. From ten thousand and one to twenty thousand, go to this server. From twenty thousand, you know, you get this idea. But if you are using hash based sharding. Then every value is hashed, and then you calculate an index, and that index points to our array, and the value of that value of that index in the array gives you the server name. And then you hit that server. But what happen if you add a new server? Then the whole thing changes, right? Then what, what do you do? If it changes, then all of a sudden, if you try to read a key, and instead of going to that particular server, the, the, sh- the ma- remapping has changed. Now you're going to another server and you're not gonna find the key that's why Cassandra sometimes struggle with this if you when you do a remapping it's really hard you know they they solved all these problems but i'm I'm just discussing the uh, the the original problem here right I say struggle i i say initially right so like if you add something a node to the ring then the neighboring rings how to share values because now you're remapping keys. So the oh, uh, if I'm if I'm adding value to a node, I need to join this value to this ring, this this cluster, and now I have to borrow values from the my neighbors based on this remapping, you know, because now oh I no longer hold this key after this remapping. Oh this this guy holds this key, so you have to reshare. And this is where another concept was invented in 1997, I believe, uh, called consistent hashing, where they Try to minimize the effect of this remapping because the remapping is expensive, right? So consistent hashing, maybe another topic, solves this to minimize the, the effect after adding or deleting a node. Because remember, in a distributed architecture, you're going to add and remove nodes all the time. So consistent hashing, the idea of having to consistently always hash to the same server no matter what, is very very critical and uh maybe that's another topic for another day i hope you enjoyed this episode what do you think about hashtag builds are you using it did you run into any problems that uh, we you can share let me know in the comment section below i'm gonna see you on the next one you guys stay awesome goodbye